Welcome to another episode of Digital Detox Secrets. Today's guest is Christina Crook, and she is the author of The Joy of Missing Out, JOMO. So that is quite the opposite of FOMO, fear of missing out. So in this episode, Christy and I dig in and talk about all of the different ways to find the art of finding balance in a wired world. And what better timing than 2020 when we have never been more attached to digital than ever before. The struggle is definitely real to find balance in this digital world. And Christina and I talk about some actionable ways that you can do it and some apps that she loves and some of her favorite sources. So welcome, Christina. And we are going to be talking about Jomo. Hi, Christina, and welcome to Digital Detox Secrets. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what a time to talk about um, Digital Detox Secrets. And you're, um, you're here to talk about the joy of missing out. And I feel like we're in this detox type of, or toxic actually type of year, um, and we're missing out on a lot. (laughs) We are missing out on a lot. That was the great irony at the beginning of COVID was people were like, this is the perfect moment for Jomo, although we are, you know, forcefully, we're being forced to miss out on on certain things, but um, definitely an interesting conversation about uh, digital and the right things to miss out on during COVID. Yeah. So tell us, how did you, tell us about Joy of Missing Out, what it's all about, and how did you get into this, this line of, um, this topic? Yes. Uh, Well, I am a student of communication theory. So I'm actually originally from Vancouver in Canada, and I studied at Simon Fraser University and started my career at the CBC. So our public broadcaster, like your NPR in America. And uh, I was really keyed in because of my studies, but also just sort of a natural noticer to the ways in which um, email and then social media was beginning to encroach on my own life and my own relationships, but also more importantly on the culture at large. And so my grandmother was a newspaper clipper, like an old school grandma, and she would always clip articles for me. And I started this practice myself of collecting, sort of amassing this collection of articles um, about this growth and sort of, um, yeah, almost like overtaking of our lives of, of the digital um, experience. And so I decided uh, to give up the internet for 31 days. It was a little experiment I called Letters from a Luddite. I actually, instead of being online, I wrote a letter each day on an old typewriter to the same friend in Vancouver. I was living at Toronto at that point, which is where I live now, and mailed them across the country each day. And I was recording to her the experience of what it was like offline, the challenges, the frustrations, the incredible epiphanies, um, the wide open mental space. I finally had the creativity, the the, the creative juices that were flowing even with young kids underfoot. Um, And I wrote off of that experiment for a number of publications and my publisher actually approached me to expand off of that into a book. That book was originally titled Digital Detox. And at the last moment, about a couple of months before uh, the official publication date, uh, we had to change the title for um, a legal reason. And it was renamed The Joy of Missing Out. And I have been grateful every single day that that happened because I really love how it reframes the conversation from being about the removal of something and and the, the joy of missing out reframes it as 
like what joys can we step into when we disconnect? So that was yeah. a long introduction, but that is the way I came into this work. What year was that, that you took the, the, um, the 30 day hiatus? Oh man, it was a long time ago now. It was like 2013, I think. And then the book came out in 2015. So sort of like I was, people call me sort of a digital well-being pioneer because my book was sort of ahead of this, what feels like now a global conversation. It is, it is definitely more, more so because of the pandemic. It's um, actually been brought to everybody, mindfulness and being aware and meditation has never been more. I mean, if you look at Google trends, it's probably, you know, the search, um, search activity in Google has probably increased and spiked since March of this year. And I think everybody is, it's almost like, I feel like it's become commercialized, but not really. I think that um, you could look at it that way, but it's really just become a movement. Mm-hmm. It has. And that's been the incredible, beautiful thing. And I think there's so many different voices um, and people coming to the, the challenge and also the opportunity of how we can live well with technology from all over the world, whether it's academics or artists, you know, filmmakers with the brand new movie, The Social Dilemma that just came out, just all these people engaging this conversation. And for me, it's just been so exciting to be a part of it. I did something similar. It wasn't in 2013, but it was probably 2014 or 2015. And there's actually a chapter in Digital Detox Secrets about um, a similar experience that I went through my, with my daughter, who's now 18, but at the time she was probably 13. And I just realized how um, social media and you know, Snapchat and um, just the, the pressure of um, FOMO and fear of missing out was kind of taking over her and becoming like this like obsession with her and her friends. And I was witnessing, witnessing her being basically taken down, you know, going from, you know, somebody that was, you know, very engaging, very, very interactive to be very distracted and very withdrawn and very, you know, looking at her phone constantly. And I, a couple of things happened and we, I decided, okay, you know what, I'm taking your phone away for, for, seven days and I think it ended up being 14 days and the experience of that um, it was almost like watching somebody that was like an addict like a heroin addict going through like the first couple days like such bad withdrawal and very angry and very upset and you know then all of a sudden getting to a point of acceptance and then by the end of the period where she had no phone and really no internet connection um, because it was summer, um, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, mom, I'll go with you for a walk on the beach or I'll go with you here. And she was having like mm -hmm. conversations with me for the first time. And, you know, it seemed like a long time like that just got I got robbed of the interaction and the engagement because she was so distracted and being so taken down by what was happening, you know, with her friends that she wasn't part of or something. And at the very end, she ended up writing me a letter thanking me and I still have it. And it's like, I think I printed part of it in the book and it just is like this, you know, it's like, you don't realize how digital is working against you, but it, it you know, also today you can't live without it. So it's like, how do you today balance that out? For me, my focus is really on deepening our connections to the real world. It's less about limiting tech uh, in all of its various forms and being so deeply connected to the things that we love to do, the people we love to be with, so that the draw to being offline is stronger than being online. So I don't have rules about, you know, hours 
spent or I do have, you know, strategies around different tools and, and things that I believe work well for many people. But in terms of hours logged, I think that I have sort of this um, parameter where I, where I believe that you should be spending the majority of your hours offline than online. Like that's a good check. If you're spending the majority of your waking hours, like 14 hours, 16 hours online and only like four off, maybe if you're lucky counting showers, <laughs> eating, whatever it is, um, then I think we've got a problem. But for me, it's really less about the sort of limiting of tech as it is like finding those things that feel really good. I often tell about the story of this family I know that's in the capital of Canada, which is Ottawa. And they're a family that um, loves to skate. And in the winter, it freezes over. There's a canal there that freezes over. And every Sunday afternoon, they go and they go skating as a family. And they go for these things called beaver tails after, which are these cinnamon, they're kind of like churros, but like giant churros, like cinnamon and sugar and pastry. And they have the best time. And the kids, you know, range from teens to sort of like eight years old. And that family, none of the kids are asking for iPads, right? None of the kids are asking for their phone because they're so immersed and having such an incredible time. And I think if we can build our lives in a way where those experiences are built into our everyday life, those things we look forward to, then having that balance is a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I, I think that we're especially more challenged now because of course, every, because of, you know, everything has gone to e-learning and, um, you know, everything in person that we knew existed, you know, has been taken away from us for the most part. I mean, we're getting little bits and pieces back, but it's especially hard, I think, for, um, for anybody that's working in the digital marketing space, public relations, social media marketing, um, and then also, you know, the e-learning, you know, is, it's, it's like, you, you almost can't not have your phone in front of you while you're on this screen, the computer, and, you know, maybe there's something happening in the background too, you know, and then there's the, the wearables. So it's like, in today's world, um, it's, I think it's hard not to spend eight hours in, in, you know, or the majority of your time with digital around you. So if you have to do that, mm-hmm. what are some strategies that, that we can apply. I mean, some strategies probably your listenership has heard over and over again, but these are the ones that I always share is beginning and ending your day, you know, without technology. So beginning your morning, whether it's with movement or it's with journaling, but sitting in quiet, you know, getting that sort of framing of the day, setting the pace and your, your sort of mindset for the day without that instant pull into the urgent of our phones and our feeds and our email boxes. So maybe the first half an hour, if that's, you know, the starting step for you, but I would encourage even more like an hour um, before you dive into your inbox, all those things are waiting for you. Um, getting into a deep workflow earlier in the day, if that's when you're most creative and, and you're your sharpest, but you know, prioritizing that creative period in your day for doing more focused work. So I'm writing a new, a new book right now and I am uh, the best early in the morning. So I have to protect that time to get that in. And then I switch gears into all the emailing and uh, yeah, all of the digital stuff later in the day. I'm on my computer earlier to write, but you know what I mean? And then the end of the day, right? Unwinding with 
again, to make it as easy as possible for you, having books on your nightstand that aren't the should books, you know, the books you're like, I should read that for work or I should, you know, a good person would read this book. I have so many of those books. I've, I've learned to throw them away, but having a book that like you truly are excited to dive into on your nightstand makes it that much easier, you know, to reach for that versus your phone or Netflix. So those are just a couple of, of my tips. Yeah, I also think that um, we've made progress with social media. The social media platforms like Facebook um, and Instagram are, and Snapchat are, you know, and they're trying to take part in helping recognize, okay, you know, this is how much time you've spent and, you know, take a pause and take a break and, and helping with the mental health and wellness of what social media does to your brain and to your body and to your social life and how it can actually be it's called social media, but it can also be very antisocial. Absolutely. I love the feature in Twitter where it says, you're all caught up. You never see that in, in Instagram or Facebook, even though they're getting better. But I love that feature in Twitter where it's like, oh, you've, you've actually caught up on all the information that's new here. And then it's just like such a perfect prompt to move on to something new. It's such a great point that these design principles, right, really shape our day-to-day experience. And yes, we can create our own alarms and, and, you know, try and create our own strategies around these things. But ultimately um, the platforms are built in ways to make us spend as much time as possible there. Right. And I'm sure your listeners know this because this is the theme of your podcast, digital detox, but really understanding that their ultimate goal is as much time and attention as possible to sell you as many products as possible, right, through ads um, and also data collection. So understanding that when you go into this space, like, yes, this is a tool, I can connect, I can learn some things, uh, but also I need to move on with my day and get on to other things. Yeah, that was actually uh, one of the points that I brought up in that chapter I was referring to in Digital Detox Secrets when I was, and you know, immersing myself into basically saving my daughter from, from you know, being taken down by social was that, Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter, they hire the programmers that are designed to figure out how to get into your brain and get you addicted to, mm-hmm. to these, these apps, just like gamers, you know, get addicted to gaming. And that's their whole point. So, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword because, um, you know, I have a social PR agency and that's how I make my living. And I also, you know, I'm trying to protect my mental health and wellness and, you know, stay on that side, side in, in that lane as well. But speaking of, of social media platforms, and I'm interested uh, to hear how you use social media to, or what, what you did to actually promote your book and what were some of the best ways that you found to get in front of your audience? Ah, oh, such a great question. So um, I purposely didn't have a social media strategy when my book was released because I did not see a way that I could with integrity promote this book that was about disconnecting from the internet on the internet. So my publisher did do a very good job of getting me in front of mainstream press when the book released through classic, you know, PR channels, radio, print, et cetera, television. Um, But I did not have social accounts for a long time. And to be honest, it has kind of nipped me in the bud because uh, people want people with platforms. This is 
your business, you completely understand this. Um, publishers, for instance, want to have some guarantees around sales of books. And so they want to see that the author has, oh, there's Sorry. an alert. <laughs> <laughs> they want to see that an author is bringing a certain number, right, of, of followers to, um, to their, to their, whatever. To the Sorry. I, it's okay. I'll stop. I'm, hold on one sec. We can edit this up. Perfect. Okay. Sorry. I don't know if it's going to go off again, but um, that's super interesting. So if you could just start over sure. with that, because yeah, I yeah, just yeah. feel like that is. <laughs> so when my book was first released, um, my publisher did a really great job with traditional, you know, PR efforts around radio and television and print. Um, but I didn't see a way to, with integrity, promote the book on social media and build a social following. And so I intentionally did not do that for a number of years. And I had some creative solutions around that. I did have an email list and I had a a free prompt that people could get called Daily Jomo, which was a playful prompt to get people offline and reconnecting to the joys of the real world. Um, people loved that. That was really fun, um, but it was less in your face as social is. Um, and obviously there were permissions around, you know, people giving me their email address, but it was actually watching the Mr. Rogers documentary that came out about two years ago now. Um, it came out of watching that in a theater with one of my closest friends here. I live in the west side of Toronto on this little independent theater and I came out and I thought to myself okay so Mr. Rogers created his show because television at that time was absolute garbage for children it was like G.I. Joe and like people smashing pies and people's other people's faces and it was like low 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 brow non-educational content and Mr. Rogers could have made it his lifelong you know mission to be anti-television, to be anti-children's programming, but instead he went into television and created an alternative. And I had a lot of conviction actually coming out of watching that documentary where I was like, okay, so the people that need my message the most are actually on social media. They're actually addicted to social media. And I have a responsibility to be there to engage them with my message. And so it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I actually started to have a social media strategy and plan. And I recently, it was experienced Jomo and it was all Jomo all the time, but I've recently just rebranded as Christina Crook because I want to expand sort of my offerings. My next book is not explicitly Jomo, although it picks up on all these you know, themes about what it means to be human in a digital age. But I do have a social media strategy and I have a team that works on it and it's so weird, but it's so important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see that. And I, you know, there's authors like Elizabeth Gilbert and um, Gretchen Rubin that really do a great job at using their Facebook um, and Instagram pages as to interact and engage. And sometimes I, I'm just like, they're, they do such an amazing job and I'm just like, how do they do it? Like, you know, they have to have people behind them, but it seems it comes across very personalized yeah. and very relationship building. So, you know, it is like, you just have to find that balance, um, especially from an author standpoint to really, you know, engage with your audience and use social as best as you can without it, you know, kind of taking, taking over you. What is your next book? So my next book is called, going to be called Good Burdens reclaiming effortful living as the path to joy. 
So I've made this connection between attention and effort and those two things needing to be present for joy to occur in our lives. So we can be in the most beautiful place in the world, but if we're not attentive to what's happening, we can completely miss it. And we can be watching a really awesome show on Netflix, but it's very passive. It's not effortful. And that doesn't really give us like that full satisfaction feeling that we get from joy. And so I'm talking about these good burdens, these things that we do that once we get across a certain threshold of effort, like creating a meal for loved ones for Thanksgiving, right? Very effortful, a lot of work, quite burdensome. But once you get across a certain threshold of effort and everyone's at the table and enjoying that meal, right? It's so meaningful. There's so much joy and that burden disappears. So that's a good burden. So that's what the new book is about. Um, and I'm extremely excited about it. Actually, a lot of the interviews that I've done on my podcast, the Jomo cast with mindful tech leaders, all from, you know, from Basecamp to WeTransfer to Harvard professors talking about all of these different ways in which we can balance our lives with technology will um, be making their way into this new book. So yeah, I literally signed last week. So it's quite exciting. <laughs> well, you'll have to keep us posted for sure. Yeah. And speaking of your podcast, what are some of your favorite interviews? And um, we'll put the links to them in the show notes, but tell us oh. about some of your favorite interviews and why and maybe some gleams of Yes. Okay. That's so generous. Um, so Ellen Langer, who's at Harvard, she was the first tenured psychology professor that was a woman at Harvard ever. And I had her on the podcast. She's basically considered the mother of mindfulness. She popularized mindfulness way back in the 70s and, and created an entire area of research around that. So that's one of my favorite episodes. And that's really where this like attention and effort piece came together for me. Um, so I highly recommend that. She's hilarious. Um, it was right at the beginning of COVID. She's like a fireball. I sent her my interview question. She was like, I don't like them. We're not doing that. <laughs> Go girl, you tell me what's up. I was like, we can talk about whatever you want. Um, so that was a fantastic episode. Uh, I have a friend um, who's got a couple of wildly successful social media accounts. Um, one is called Effenbirds. Uh, maybe some of your listeners have, have heard about it. They're um, gorgeous old drawings of birds, like historic drawings of birds with swears on them. Um, he's making gazillions of dollars from this insane idea. And he was on the podcast and we talked about Jomo for the very online because his life is a hundred percent online. Like he's never not on the internet. And he's got another account called Swear Trek where it's Star Trek, but also with swearing. Apparently he likes swearing a lot. Um, that's a really fun, playful episode. Very different, obviously, from the Ellen Langer episode. And one more. My very first interview ever was with my friend Salima Ibrahim, who's the co-founder of a startup called Artery. And Arteries, um, kind of think of it as like Airbnb meets Eventbrite. So people list spaces. It could be any kind of space, whether it's a loft or a backyard. And they pair the people with their spaces with performers. And they do these intimate showcases all over the world. And it was growing like crazy before COVID hit. And this interview was done before COVID. But their mission, although it is like a very wildly successful startup, um, is really to decrease loneliness. Like that is their actual mission 
is to increase connection locally for people. So like you look up on Artery, what's happening tomorrow night? Oh, there's a jazz musician playing like two blocks down the road. You're probably going to meet a neighbor and that starts to build more local connection. So that's called, I think, the joy of missing out on loneliness with Salima Ibrahim. What do you say to college students today about the joy of missing out? They're basically, you know, grew up on digital and don't know the difference. I think honestly, they're more hungry for it than any of us. Uh, my cousin Natalie is an actress in Vancouver. She was on Flash. She's on tons of big shows, and she will. Um, she's 22 years old. She'll walk into acting classes, and everybody's staring down at their phones. And she's like, "I wish there was something I could just." say to them to snap them out of it that's like socially acceptable and so her and I talk about strategies to just sort of like upend that habitual way of being just spark a conversation with one person and you know eventually other people will possibly get engaged but really you have to lead by example if you want more of that connection in your life it's going to require discomfort um, it's going to require you to do something that feels uncomfortable, um, but the gains are 100% worth it. And it sucks right now. It sucks that we have to mostly do our connecting like this. And thank God for Zoom. And I haven't. I'm more grateful for the internet than I ever have been before. Like for, during COVID, because my family is all over the world. We can't be together. It's really hard. But I think that um, I would say to a, a college student is really to nurture just a couple of like deep, close friendships. Like if you have one or two close friendships that are like actually real, we can reach out to someone like I did with my friend Emily yesterday and was like, I just am having an off day. Like I need to talk about it. Like if you have one or two of those people in your life, like that is gold. It's like the most precious thing in the world. So that's what I would say. <laughs> Yeah. And I think um, it makes me think of also, you know, kind of the flip side of college students. So people that are um, in the age bracket of my mom, and I, I noticed this happening too, where they definitely did not grow up on digital, but because of COVID and because of the situation, like you said, you know, fear of missing out or joy of missing out on loneliness, I think that loneliness is a big deal. Um, and people are turning to maybe, you know, Facebook as their their way of their connection of to to their friends and family and to the world where it it actually is having it's, it's isolating them even more mm -hmm. and not really allowing them to you know like you said pick up the phone and talk to a friend or you know it's almost like the connection of social media is like the only connection and then the next connection might be text you know like who calls people anymore <laughs> it's, it's kind I of know. scary it's totally scary you think someone's dead yeah. My brothers, my brothers only call me when they're having a baby or getting married. I have five brothers. They're, they never call me. They call me. I'm like, uh, must be having a baby. Like, I don't even need to ask. Right. Her. Something's definitely wrong. <laughs> and, and, and it's almost like rude to call somebody without having some sort of an appointment or letting them know ahead of time, hey, can you talk? Like, it's just, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's just so different. But it's actually kind of sad. It is sad. I think it's really... I think it's cool to pick up the phone sometimes and just call someone. I've had some of my best conversations calling people out of the blue um, and then thanking me, you know? So I think it's worth it sometimes, but it's true. It does sort of like elicit this panic response for most people. 
Yeah. Do you have any favorite apps that you want to share or sources, books besides your book? Mm, yes. Um, okay. So I need to talk. I'm looking behind me, but I need to talk to the microphone. One sec. Because I keep most of my most favorite books <laughs> close to me. There's an amazing book by Wendell Berry called What Are People For? It's much more of a philosophical book, but I love that book. It's essays. He's a farmer, poet, philosopher, and he has the most thoughtful essays. So that book is What Are People For? Um, I do really, I did really enjoy Tiffany Schlein's book 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. Tiffany was on the podcast, No More Friends. Um, I was in New York for her show recently at the Museum of Modern Art. Um, One more. There's a magazine in the UK called Idler. And it's all about being idle. And it's put out by Tom Hodgkinson. And he also wrote a book called How to Be Idle. Um, It's mostly satirical, tongue-in-cheek, kind of pushing us to consider our always-on culture. Um, It's really fun. It's a really fun magazine. So those are my my three. Awesome. And what about any apps that you are kind of help you? Oh, well, um, Freedom... Um, is an app that I am playing around with a little bit and I'm liking the experience. So it's one of those distraction-free apps uh, that is, you know, lets you block whether it's a half an hour or a full day. You can set, if you have a paid account, you can set up, you know, regular intervals of focused work. Um, I'm really enjoying that. If people want to check it out, they can check out freedom.to slash Jomo because right now they are sponsoring the podcast. Um, yeah, which is really, really awesome. They're great, great guys. Um, and you know, honestly, I don't use a lot of apps for this, for this problem. Do you mean just like apps in general though? Yeah. Apps in general. Um, Okay. What else have I got? I'm picking up my phone. Um, okay. I use any list for my groceries. I have found that to be hugely effective and I share it with my husband that's been really good. I use LastPass for all of my passwords, which is fantastic. Ooh, that's um, a good one. I'll have to check it out. I use one password for my passwords. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And here's another funny one. Um, guitar tuna, like T-U-N-A. It's for tuning your instruments. I've been learning the ukulele over Zoom during uh, COVID. And you can just open up this app and just set it beside you and you plunk, you plunk your little, you know, on the on the instrument and it will tell you if you're in tune or not and then you adjust it and then it makes a happy little bring and it means that you're tuned which i thought was hilarious there's an app for that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome well christina where can we find you um and find out about your next book and follow you where are the best places the best place is christinacrook.com uh, where you'll find everything with the podcast, my book. I have got a digital well-being membership uh, that I'm just, I've just really launched. Uh, so you can find everything there on my social channel. So christinacrook.com, the JomoCast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to dig more in specifically to Jomo, then you can, can go to experiencejomo.com where it's got all the stuff around the movement there. I want to experience Jomo. That's, gonna, <laughs> that's, that's top of my list. I'm going to go check out all of those links, but we will also put them in the show notes. And I really appreciate you sharing all your digital detox secrets and some social PR secrets on, on how you use social to, um, to market and launch your book and, and all of your um, offerings. So Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa.
Namaste. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.